Ed. Uh, my dad hired into General Motors when he was 18 and uh, he was on a pension. And so he knew that he was gonna be re able to retire at around the age of 48. Uh, which is exactly what he did. Uh, uh, they used to call General Motors generous motors for a reason. Uh, and uh, he, he knew that he'd be able to retire at 48. And so like liking his job and liking his work, I don't recall my dad really loving what he did for a living. He knew he was gonna put in 30 years. He knew he was gonna draw a paycheck. He knew he was gonna retire. And that was a huge motivation for him. Another motivation for him was family. He had me and my sister um, and uh, we were expensive, right? And he had a responsibility and uh, he, he just believed in that. That, that. that was his why. Some of you, your why is that you do deeply enjoy your work. You love it when your alarm clock goes off in the morning and you get to go in and you just enjoy what you do. Some of you, your why is actually that you're scared of change, that you don't actually love what you do for a living. Uh, you, you don't uh, just uh, desire for the alarm clock to go off each morning, but the idea of a change in your work is so scary to you uh, that you're gonna find yourself retiring from that company someday. So there are a variety of motivations. Now I want you think about your motivations, your why for how you treat your coworkers when you go in tomorrow morning. Are you kind? Why? Are you harsh? Why? Are you disengaged? Why? What motivates you in terms of your relationships at work? What about life at home? What motivates you in terms of what happens at home with your kids and with your wife, the way you raise your kids, the way you interact with your husband, the way you do all of that, the way you serve your family? The book teaches us to start with why. I want to open up your Bibles to Philippians 2. I want to transition this to Jesus just for a moment. And I want to talk about what he did. And I want to talk about how he did it. And then the real take-home point is I want to start with why when it comes to Jesus. I want to talk about why he did what he did. So let's start with what he did. We know for, uh, from the Bible that there came a point when Jesus was up in heaven with God the Father, and there came a point when he left heaven and he came to earth. That is what he did. He was born in a town called Bethlehem. He was born to a virgin named Mary. That is what he did. He lived a life that was free of sin. He was the pure, faultless lamb that the Old Testament teaches that God requires. He would go on uh, from about the age of of 30 on, he would go on to preach and he would go on to teach. He would go on to do uh, many, many miracles. That is what he did. He healed people of their diseases. During that time, on more than one occasion, he offended the religious leaders. After three years, in terms of the what, he went to the cross, he was beaten, he was mocked, he ultimately hung there, and then he died. Uh, some earlier followers of his put him in a tomb, he was buried there for three days, and on Sunday he rose from the dead. This is what Jesus did. This is the what. And uh, the Bible will tell us, the Apostle Paul will write these words uh, as a descriptor. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Paul's point, you can go talk to them if you want, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. What did Jesus do? He died for our sins. 
our sins that separated us from God. How did Jesus do it? The method that Jesus used to accomplish this was the cross. He went to the cross, he died uh, on that cross, and then his resurrection, he rose from the dead. But here's the question that I have, and maybe you have it too. Let's start with why. We know what Jesus did. We know how Jesus did it. He died for our sins. The method was the cross. Why? Why did Jesus do all this? So we're talking about the the journey today, uh, the, the, the ministry journey. And this gets to the core of why Jesus came and why Jesus served. Why did he do what he did? Let me ask you, was it because he was motivated by vanity? Was he motivated by vanity? Sometimes you'll hear these accounts of the creation story that will describe the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit as creating the universe because the Trinity somehow had a need and a desire to be worshiped. Let me be very clear on this. Jesus doesn't need to be worshiped. Right? Any sentence that starts with Jesus needs, fill in the blank, right? it probably has theological problems. Jesus doesn't need to be worshipped. Now, let me be very clear. Jesus is worthy of your worship. Right? He is worthy of your worship. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that someday he is going to return to earth. And at that point, every eye is going to see how worthy of worship he is. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right In that moment, everybody will recognize that this man is worthy of our worship, but to say that he needs it misses the point. To say that he needs it or he craves it in some way is almost to portray God in a vain way, and that is not who God is. That is not who Jesus is. No, he was not motivated by vanity. Right? God didn't create the heavens and the earth. Jesus didn't save mankind because he had some vain need to be worshipped. So no, he wasn't motivated by vanity. Was he motivated by selfish ambition? By ambition. This is even sillier. That somehow Jesus or God the Father needs someone or something to serve him for his purposes. That he is very ambitious that he has a plan and he created human beings to accomplish his plan. Now, don't misunderstand me. Jesus is worthy of your service. He is, he's worthy of your service, but he can accomplish his goals without us, I assure you. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? He owns everything. That's what, he, he can accomplish whatever he wants, whenever he wants. That's how Jesus is. So he wasn't motivated by selfish ambition. He wasn't like, man, I have these plans, but no way to accomplish them. I need human beings to accomplish my plans. Right? That's, that's not how it happened at all. And, and I think when, and when you're talking about starting with why, I would like the, make, to make the case to you this morning that Jesus was motivated. The why for Jesus, the why for God the Father was unadulterated, pure love that this was the motivation of Jesus, that this was the motivation of God the Father, this is the motivation of the Trinity. Let me show you a few texts that, that I think support this. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. That's John 15. Ephesians 5 says it this way. Follow God's example, therefore, as, dear, as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. John 13 will say it this way. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another we could go on and on and on. We really could, but we're not going to do that for a variety of reasons. All right, so our vision statement is this, to be a growing family, journeying together to be more like Jesus. And this is absolutely one of the ways we wanna be like Jesus. We wanna serve and we wanna make a difference in this world with our primary motivation being love, with our primary motivation being love, maybe our only motivation being love. We want to start with why, that because Jesus has loved us so deeply, because he has served us so deeply, we want to love others deeply, and we want to serve others deeply. And you say, this feels like it's going to be a short sermon, because isn't this why anybody serves? Isn't this why anybody lays down their life? And Paul is going to make the argument to us in Philippians that we really have to be diligent to examine our hearts and our minds about why we are serving. Is our primary motivation love or is it something else? Let me show you what Paul says there if you're in Philippians 2 now. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. I love this text. I love this text, because he starts out with this idea. If you have received any comfort from the love of Christ, then what he says next is going to be true from you. And anybody that is in Christ Jesus, I think, has received comfort from his love. When you think about your choices and your decisions and how they have separated you from, from God, it is his love that comforts you and says you are forgiven. When you think about the challenges that you face each day and the difficulties of life, it is his love that comforts you and says, I am with you to the very end of the age. When you think about the temptations that you face and the things that can derail your life, it is his love that comforts us and reminds us that we are empowered and equipped to overcome any challenge. 
When you think about eternal life and that whole deal, when you start to feel anxiety about your eternal life, it is his love that comforts you and says, I have taken care of you every day of your life. I will take care of your eternity. We have received a great deal of comfort from his love. So Paul says, since you've been so affected by this love, so comforted by it, so changed by it, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. In other words, love the way you have been loved. And Paul gets very specific. He says, this love of Christ causes us to, this love does nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. There is a way to serve others that has primarily yourself in mind. I I don't know if you realize that or not, but there is a way to serve others that actually thinks of you first, right? Sometimes we might serve someone to get a favor in return, right? Joe is moving now. I'm moving in three months. I will help Joe now so he feels obligated to help me in three months, right? Sometimes we serve to expect a favor in return. Sometimes we might serve to gain influence with the person we are serving. Sometimes we might serve to make ourselves look good. And we have to really guard our hearts on this, according to Paul. We have to really examine our heart and our mind and ask, I think, a very tough question. When I serve, am I serving them? Or when I serve, am I actually serving me? That's a tough question to answer sometimes. And it's part of what has impressed me. You've been talking a lot the last few weeks about the the Now is the Time initiative and the projects we've done the last few years. And a chunk of this whole Now is the Time thing has been for the next generation. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I know multiple people that have been praying and giving and contributing. I know they don't have kids in our ministry. They're long past that age. I know they don't have grandchildren in our ministry. I know that they may never set foot in uh, in, in, in our new updated youth ministry space when it's done but you've given and you've prayed. What is your motivation? It is the love of Christ. It is modeling his love. It is a love for kids and a love for teenagers, even though they are not related to you, a love that desires for them to meet Jesus. So he says, you really have to guard your heart on this. Am I serving you or am I serving me when I serve? All right, this love, Paul will say, values others above ourselves, all right? That this love, this service that Paul is talking about, service motivated by love, values others above ourselves. Now, this text is not promoting poor self-esteem. It's not saying don't love yourselves. As a matter of fact, Jesus will say one time, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus loves you deeply. He expects you to love you as well. But in the context of serving others, this, this text is giving us a way to avoid a very real trap. And here's the trap, that in my service, I begin to think of myself as better than the one I am serving. 
right? So in the, in the way that I serve, I begin to think of myself as the one who came from on high, the one who has the answers, the one who has the solutions, and I am serving you with kind of an arrogant heart, that by serving, I begin to think of myself as better than you, more important than you, more knowledgeable than you, and if you would just do what I tell you to do, your life would be better off. That I, I know what you need. I know what would make things better. I know how to get things fixed. And if you just listen to me, things would improve. And this can embed in us, within our service, sometimes a sense of superiority over the the ones that we are serving, a sense of arrogance, and at times a sense of annoyance. Um, I see it sometimes in the service industry. Have you noticed that customer service has become a bit difficult to find? Now, not just me, obviously. The awkward laughter tells me that you are, you are joining me on this. Have you noticed that? Um, there used to be an attitude in the customer service world that the customer is always right. That the customer is the one that I serve. And that element of customer service is very difficult to find anymore. And and it's sometimes actually the the script gets flipped. And it's almost as if the customer service person that I'm engaging with views me as an inconvenience to them having a good day. Right? And, And so the attitude becomes that almost as the customer, I exist to serve the one who's supposed to be serving me, that I exist to serve them and make their life better. So I sometimes go to this fast food restaurant. I'm not gonna say their name, but I will say that they have kids' meals that make my kids super happy. Um, and I will also say that they have really good coffee at this restaurant, in my opinion, right? Um, and uh, I think there's, they do something to it. I'm not sure what they do to it. It's really good coffee. And so every once in a while, I'll be running some errands or whatever, and I'll go into this certain restaurant, this certain establishment, and I'll go in and I'll order a cup of coffee in the middle of the afternoon. And there's one worker there in particular that is super annoyed that I do this. And it's, it's like, you know, she, 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 one time she even said to me, she's like, you know it's like 2 p.m., right? I said, I know if I don't get my coffee soon, bad things are going to happen. I, I mean, is that the same as knowing it's two? I need coffee, right? I don't care what time it is. I need it, right? And, and she acts super annoyed with me because sometimes they have to, I, admittedly, sometimes they have to brew a special pot because apparently not a ton of people other than me are drinking coffee at 2 p.m. Um, and, uh, you, you know, I, I'm obviously teasing a little bit, but she'll act super annoyed with me. And it begins to make me think that she believes, like in this establishment, she believes that I'm supposed to be serving her and making her day better. And it just didn't used to be that way. And I know I'm acting, I know that this is a, a, a first world problem, okay? All right? So that this is not like, can you believe what happened to me the other day? You know, I had to wait 10 minutes for coffee. You know, no, I, I don't want to be that guy. Uh, but I, I want you to see that sometimes this gets script where, where you are supposed to be serving someone and all of a sudden you believe people exist to serve you. So I see it in the service industry. I see it in government. Have you ever turned on cable news and just picked up like an arrogance from the government authority? Like if you would just give us more of your tax dollars, we know what you need. Just listen to us. We know what would make your life better. We know. Just give us more of your money and we'll make things better. I see it in compassion agencies. 
that it's easy for sometimes in a compassionate agency to begin to approach people with an attitude of condescension. It just uh, is, especially maybe when you're serving some under-resourced, it would be easy to begin to adopt an attitude of looking down on people for their choices while at the same time looking up at myself for my good choices. It is dangerous, it is hurtful, and it is unkind. And let it never be said of the church. I love what Paul says, as you are serving He says, for the purposes of service, for the purposes of service, consider others as better than yourself. Consider them better. Don't consider yourself better because you're serving them, right? Consider that they are better because you're the one serving, right? So so consider others as better than yourself. And what Paul is teaching is that we strive to keep in check an arrogant attitude or condescension that can find its way into our hearts, and we allow love to rule the day. And Paul's point is, it does require considering. What is my motivation? What is driving me? What is really important to me? And if what is driving my compassion if what is driving my service is something other than love, if if it is a feeling of superiority or trying to gain influence or making myself feel good even, if it's any of those things, if, if it's any of those things, then we ask Jesus to help us love the way that he loves because Jesus did this perfectly. He loves people perfectly. And so he says, we strive to examine our heart and mind and say, man, I think I've gotten kind of off on this service thing. We ask Jesus to help us love the way that he loves so that we can be like him on this ministry journey. As we're serving our church, as we're serving our community, we are approaching people with this pure, unadulterated, fabulous, beautiful, messy love. Love. And by the way, I think people can see this a mile away. When you approach them with arrogance, I mean, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I can tell when the lady behind the stand is irritated with me for ordering a coffee at 2 p.m., right? So people pick up on this a mile away. They, they do. They can pick up on your arrogance. They can pick up on your condescension. They can pick up on maybe even a feeling of superiority. And so we want to approach people with just pure, unadulterated, messy, beautiful, Christ-like love. And this is where it gets really complicated because, because Paul goes on to say, this love looks out for the interests of others. And, and this is where it gets really hard because this, this love asks, what is in the best interest of the other person? Not my best interest, not what, will, not what will make me look better or feel better or preserve my power, but I am tasked with serving them in such a way that I am looking out for their interests. And this requires me to be diligent with my heart and with my mind so I don't become arrogant, right? I feel like this step almost starts to come in conflict with the other steps. But it's like, all right, I'm looking out to your interests, but I don't want to approach anybody in such a way that, hey, I know what your life needs, right? If, if you would just listen to me, if you would just do what I say, your life would be better. Like I know everything that you need. So this requires great humility to approach people and say, man, I just want what's in your best interest. And a lot of prayer. Jesus, would you help me to see what is in their best interest? And sometimes serving them in their best interest requires saying no. Sometimes it does. It requires to say no, that I can't serve you in that way. 
I don't believe that's in your best interest. And it's from a humble place. It's from a humble heart, but I don't feel like I can serve you that way. And sometimes it involves saying, yes, I will serve you that way. I will love you that way. It is in your best interest. But I don't think there is any better way to serve someone. I, I, this is just, allow me my preacher moment, if you will. There's no better way to serve someone than with Jesus. Jesus is in everyone's best interests, right? His love is in your best interests. His example is in your best interests, right? His uh, future is in your best interests. His promises are in your best interests. His life is in your best interests. So whenever you feel in conflict about, is this in the, you can always go to the Bible answer of Jesus. Jesus is always the correct answer, right? So sometimes I'll stand up here, I'll say, hey, you know, so-and-so did this, what's the answer? I'd be like, uh, David or Jesus? Well, actually it was David, but Jesus, you know, is correct too. So, so it's, he's always the correct answer, right? So how do we do that? Well, the same way Jesus did. It says this love takes on the very nature of a servant. Motivation check, heart full of love, we go out and we serve. Motivation and check, heart full of love, we go out and we serve. I've seen so many of you, I'm telling you, I've seen so many of you take on this role of our ministry with a heart full of love and a desire to serve. You've been greeters. And week after week after week, you station yourself at the door. You say, I will make sure every person that walks into this place if they come in bruised, battered, beaten up, they will come in here to a smile. And I'm glad you're here. They will enter this building and they will be greeted that way every time by me. I am glad you're here. And you know why they say that to you? They're glad you're here. And I will serve in this way. Some of you are kids workers. You say, I will serve in this way. I will lay down my life to making sure our children and our teens and our, everybody learns that Jesus loves them and has a plan for their life. Some of you are property team members and you've said, I will make sure people come into a well-maintained facility, that our grass is cut, our carpet is clean, and, and that people are not distracted in this building uh, by the building, but instead they can focus solely on who Jesus wants them to be. Some of you are teachers and small group leaders and say, I just want to help people. I will serve. I want to help people uh, delve deeper into their relationship with Jesus. And finally, we've seen this again and again the last couple of years. Now is the time. Man, I hope one thing has become clear about now is the time that our motivation is a heart full of love and a desire to serve. And our objective is this. We want to create new spaces for a new season of ministry. That's what it is. We want to create new spaces for a new season of ministry. Spaces where people are going to hear that God loves them. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. Spaces where people are going to hear that God has a plan for them, a future for them. Spaces where kids are going to hear about Jesus and learn his teaching. Spaces where teenagers are going to get on fire for our Lord and serve him with their whole life. And so many of you have been financial and prayer servants to help accomplish this. And we want to say thank you. But make no mistake about it. What we're doing right now, with now is the time, these are just spaces. They are. They're, they're just spaces. 
Jesus is the most important thing. Pointing people to Jesus who loves them and has a plan for them and has a future for them. Jesus is the most important thing. So we wanna keep the spaces updated and new and not a distraction, but Jesus is the priority. And that's why we land uh, every single week here. We remember Jesus' sacrifice. Remember his unadulterated, pure, messy, wonderful, fantastic love that, uh, that he demonstrates for us on the cross in the way that he loves us. Um, and, and we're even told that before the cross, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus had a final meal with his disciples and they walked into this upper room experience. And for whatever reason, nobody had lined up a, a servant to wash everybody's feet. Everybody's feet would have kind of walked through the dirt all day. And when you show up to a meal, you'd recline at the table. And so your feet would kind of be in somebody's faces, in somebody's face, the, per, the face of the person next to you. And so a lot of times they'd have a foot washer lined up. And you would show up, and this was like the lowest task a person could do in Jesus's culture. You'd show up and that person would have a basin of water and they'd kneel down and they would wash the craziest stuff off your feet, dirt, filth, animal waste. They'd wash it off your feet, all right? This is that job, very, very low on the totem pole. And they walk, Jesus walks in to share this meal and he observes that there is no one lined up to wash the feet. And so your savior and your Lord poured a basin of water. He removed his outer garment and he kneeled before his disciples and he washed dirt and mud and filth and cow waste and animal waste off of their feet. Your savior did that. And you know what he said at the end of it? At the end of the foot washing, he looked at his disciples and he said, as I have loved you, so you love one another. And he set this example for us of unadulterated, pure love. We're not serving out of selfish ambition. We're not serving out of vain conceit. We're not serving because we consider ourselves better. It is pure, unadulterated love. And we follow the example of Jesus and we beg him to change our hearts and our minds so that because people see this a mile away, you think you're better than me or you think you have all the answers. And then they start looking at your life going, wait, wait, they learn you don't have the answers that you've been putting up fronts because you've been in church a long time and learned how to do that, right? And they see this a mile away. And so we want to approach people the way Jesus approached people. And it starts with recognizing his love. So we receive communion here every week. Every week we do it because we want to land here. The plane needs to land here every week and just be reminded of his love, his amazing, amazing love. So let's pray and then we'll receive together. All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. As we're on the ministry journey together as a church, um, there's a lot of ways we could have talked about this issue but I wanted to talk about motivation today. That we would just love people the way you have loved us. Boy, help us to do it. It is easy to get turned around on this. It is easy to get arrogant. It is easy to get condescending. It is easy to think of ourselves as better. Help us to be humble. Help us to serve from a place of love like our Savior did. It's the most important thing. It is in his name that we pray, amen.